Welcome to the Be Great Podcast, a podcast dedicated to the eight-man football coaching community. Here we discuss scheme, program building, program culture, and building and spreading the eight-man football game. This episode is brought to you by Team Builder. I use Team Builder myself and can personally vouch for the power of this software in the weight room. Their platform allows you to easily build programs for your whole team while individualizing workouts based on athletes' needs. Team Builder is offering a 52-week football strength and conditioning program that comes with their 14-day free trial when you sign up with code BGREAT, B-G-R-8. Not only does this program include in-season workouts, but also football-specific off-season workouts that prepare your athletes for the high demands of the season. This program focuses on increasing strength, power, and speed, all while reducing the risk of injury. Remember to head to teambuilder.com and sign up with code BGR8. That's teambuilder, T-E-A-M-B-U-I-L-D-R.com and sign up with code BGR8. This podcast is brought to you by Anywhere Apparel. Are you looking for custom screen printed and embroidered gear for your team, coaches, and fans? Contact Anywhere Apparel. That's Anywhere, A-N-Y-W-E-A-R Apparel. We have access to all the great brands and items that will have your team looking their best. We are a locally owned small business that works with teams, businesses, and individuals. Next time you need custom apparel, make Anywhere Apparel your go-to. Contact Anywhere Apparel at art.anywhereapp at gmail.com. That's A-R-T dot A-N-Y-W-E-A-R-A-P-P at gmail.com or on the phone at 319-385-1763. Today's guest on the Be Great podcast is Coach Adam Bishop from Regent Prep, Oklahoma. Coach Bishop has been coaching for 20 years and an eight-man coach for seven of those years. Coach played at Northlet High School in Arkansas. He helped coach Northlet High while he was a student in college. Coach Bishop helped start the program at Parker's Chapel High School in El Dorado in Arkansas. He left there to coach and start Regent Prep program 11 years ago. Coach Bishop has quite the successful resume. They have won three district championships and have made the playoffs all seven years that they've been an eight-man program. Coach has taken his team to the quarterfinals four times, the semifinals twice, and the state championship two times. Coach also has coached the Oklahoma eight-man all-star game three times. Over the last seven years at Regent Prep, Coach has led many successful teams and players. They have set multiple state and national records, including highest completion percentage in a season, passing yards in a season, passing touchdowns in a season, and touchdown receptions in a season and career. In 2019, they won 14 games by the 45-point mercy rule in Oklahoma. That same year, they had two high school All-Americans in Braden Gilbert, a QB that played in the eight-man All-American game in Gatlinburg, Tennessee, and Jack Wright, a receiver that was chosen to play in the American Family Insurance All-American game in San Antonio. I'm very excited for this uh, conversation with Coach Bishop. Please help me welcome Coach Bishop to the podcast, and thanks for coming on, Coach. Thanks for having me, Scott. Um, so those are there's a lot going on there, Coach, and um, I think you know you obviously know your ball, but you know you're able to get kids out. You started programs, um, you know, and that's something I'm very unfamiliar with. I wouldn't have the faintest idea. I've talked to a couple coaches now uh, that have started programs. I, I think that's wild, you know, because you kind of walk into an established one and you already know how to order footballs and you know all those kind of things. So um, I applaud you for that. And I might have you on a second time so we can talk through that because I think that's a whole conversation in itself. But uh, uh, how I like to get started with coaches is to kind of have them talk about themselves a little bit uh, about their journey, maybe as a player and then into a coach and the guys that helped them along the way. All right. Um, I appreciate you having me on again. And uh, my journey started, I knew from you know, junior high, I wanted to be a football coach, or I knew I wanted to be a coach. I actually wanted to coach basketball first and uh, did that. But by the time I gotten out of high school, I kind of realized I wanted to coach uh, football. And my high school football coach, man by the name of Alan Buchanan, he actually played um, and a division two level in college. And uh, just, he brought the spread to South Arkansas in the early 90s when nobody was doing that. Everybody was uh, wishbone, uh, maybe veer, split back veer, wing T, and he implemented the one back. And it was great for a you know a scrawny wide receiver like me, 
I would have never touched the ball and I got to play a lot under him. And then, as you mentioned in the intro, I was able in my first couple of years of college to uh, come back. I was only an hour away on the weekends. I could come back and sit in the press box, really learn how to dissect defenses and what we could do offensively under coach Buchanan. And I really appreciate him. He also gave me my first job out of college. He was coaching in the uh, Arkansas Delta in a little town called star city. And uh, I was able to go there as the wide receivers coach as a, you know, 21, 22 old coach, everything. You know how it is when you're 21, 22, you know it all. Well, Coach Buchanan, um, like I said, he gave me my start in football coaching. And then um, there was a really good Parker's Chapel, as you mentioned, was a really good basketball, baseball school. And they were bumping between uh, two and three A in Arkansas, didn't have a football program. And I had done my student teaching during my third and fourth year of college there. And the athletic director, a great mentor of mine, ended up being my actual mentor uh, by the name of Clancy Lehman. And I can't say enough great things about Coach Lehman. But he, again, he took me under his wing when there was no football program. And I had no real experience at that point starting programs. And the uh, baseball coach down there at Parker's Chapel by the name of Mark Looney, he wanted to start a program. He had a lot of respect from what he had done in baseball. So uh, he and I and a science teacher uh, started that program and that was a again that was a 2a 3a program 11 man and we started with just seventh graders and worked it up for four or five years until uh, we were full-fledged varsity and I was there seven years and that seventh year we went to the third round of the 3a playoffs and um, about that time I was married by then my wife and I we, we started having kids of our own looking for different um, education uh, opportunities and we found a classical education and we joined a group of uh, classical educators and I was not one, but I joined the group anyway and got access to their job board. And that's how I found Regent. And at, um, at Regent, we have a great head of our school, a superintendent type, his name's Andy Shapley. And he gave me a chance. I, at that point, I had never been a head coach. I had started a program. I knew the type of education Regent was giving kids. So um, Andy took me under his wing again from an administrative perspective. So I would have to say um, Alan Buchanan at Norfolk and Clancy Lehman at Parker's Chapel, Andy Shapley at Regent Prep. And those guys have supported me for over 20 years. That's, all, those are, that's a great story, Coach. And the one word I heard you uh, say in there a lot was they taught me and, you know, use the word teach and taught there. Um, you know, and I think that's important because they didn't just tell you, right? They taught you, they helped you through that. And I think as coaches, that's part of what we're trying to do is just teach our kids maybe the love of the game, you know, as, as well as other things on the side there. So um, that's a great story, coach. I appreciate you sharing that. Um, so let's get right into it, right? You're the offensive guru, that is coach Bishop here, right? So uh, uh, <laughs> we talk about your, your a, a spread team, um, are you unique in Oklahoma or are you in your, or are you kind of like in vogue? Everybody kind of does that down there. It's growing. Um, when, when we started eight man, seven years ago at our school, every week, the defensive coordinator and I would say, man, we are bored. We are preparing for too tight. eye again, 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 you know, seven out of 10 games would be too tight. eye, too tight. eye. you know, and we just got sick of that. <laughs> Right now, coach, you see a ton of 10 and 11 personnel in eight man in Oklahoma. And that's not because what region's doing. That's just the way football's going in right. general. You look at it on uh, Saturday and Sunday and you look at the big schools and high schools and that's that's the way it's going. So, yes, we definitely see more spread now than we did seven years ago. Um, and so in your you, you know, you set efficiency and yards and, and all those things, you know, and and with your efficiency, um, you know, and I've seen some of your film, you've shared that with us at the clinic and stuff. Not everything's a dink and dunk. You're not throwing bubbles and hitches and all that. You know, you're taking shots downfield. Um, so maybe what are a couple of your base concepts that you can maybe walk the listeners through, um, you know, that that uh, allow you guys to be so successful, right? Like I like the flat fade out of a two by two. You know, that's something we've run since I've been here, um, you know, but like what is what is something that you guys or maybe walk us through a couple, maybe a, out of a two by two or maybe a trips play um, that's worked really well for you guys. The, out of uh, two by two, let's do that one first. The 
Coach, I really like the, the smash concept. I mean, everybody runs that. Outside's got the, we call it a hitch, and the inside's got the smash. If they're in zone, uh, what we do that may be unique, it may not be unique. If we're running smash to the left and two by two, we're going to run that slot on the right, right down the center of the field. So that if they are in a zone and that safety cheats over to the smash, then that backside, we call safety occupy route or just a void route or a bull route and call it whatever you want to. But that route, we hit that one if the quarterback's got his eyes on the safety. Now, we will go at the weakest defender. If the safety is their strongest defender, we'll read the corner on that smash like everyone else does. And if that corner backs up, we're throwing the hitch. And if the uh, if that corner sits tight, then we're throwing the smash. But uh, that's just... That's just one. Um, really, let me walk back just a second, Coach. The one that we probably use the most is to the single receiver side, so a two-by-one or a three-by-one to the backside, and that is a hitch if the defender is too far off, and we kind of give the quarterback and receiver a, there's not a yard, like five yards, four yards. It's really speed of our guy versus their guy's ability to move his hips. So if we think he's too close, we're going to run past him. And it's a side adjustment. We have little hand signals that I don't even know that the receivers and quarterbacks make up together. This means I'm running a hitch. This means I'm running a go. That's probably the play we run the most. We've gone an entire half before and only run that play and scored a lot of points in that, in the, that half. <laughs> and then, so that would be single receiver side. And the two receiver side smash. Three receiver, three by one. We're going to run uh, number one on a go down the side. With, you know, don't squeeze yourself to the sideline, but get up the field quickly. Number two is going to run a post, and number three is going to run a, a drag or a dig. We've had tons of success with that, and it vertically and horizontally spaces the defense at the same time. So that's, I think, um, just a great three-man, you know, route combination. And that third guy that's running that drag or that dig if he sees somebody blitz across his face, he knows to get shallow and basically turns into the old air raid shallow route where the quarterback can get it to him quickly. So we kind of hope they blitz us when we're in three by one. So um, when you're in an open set like that or an empty set in the backfield, do you see a lot of automatic blitzes on your quarterback? They yeah. just send that mic back or, you know, if they're in a three one or whatever, do you that's, see a lot of that? Yeah, that's what we hope for. We hope they send four because I think the pass protection in eight man is very unique. It's not like 11 man pass protection. If you're, if you're, you know, if they're bringing one more than you can block, you've got to have it scouted down, which one of those guys is the slowest and you don't need to block him. If your quarterback cannot make a move or make a play one-on-one -on -one against the slowest guy in their front four or five, he probably doesn't need to be running the spread offense, to be honest with you. There may be something that suits his talent more. You may have a different guy that can make that move that needs to play more quarterback, but that's how we block it. We don't try to block everybody. We, you know, we never want two guys in the backfield on us. Right. But there's one guy coming free. It's not time to panic. The quarterback needs to know because he's setting the protection. He needs to know which guy is coming free and know what that guy likes to do when he blitzes. If we can get him on film blitzing, that's why I like that more teams are going to spread. We can see more of what they're going to do against us and be more prepared. But that's how we handle the blitz. Okay, so you won't um you don't have like built-in hot routes or like a hot you know a hot read side adjustment like that. You stick with your package and I think um, you that's go from more, there. Yeah, I think the hot read is more for 11 man when you have extra guys. I think the hot read or the check down in eight man football is the quarterback running the ball. Okay, that's interesting. Yeah, that's that makes a lot of sense because I mean, a lot, you're almost always outnumbered, you know, if you're going to be passing the ball like that out of an empty set there. So I never thought about just letting a guy go and making him miss, but that, I mean, that makes complete sense there. I appreciate that. Um, so do you see a lot of zone? Do you see a lot of man in Oklahoma? What's kind of the trend like down there now? We see both, but I'm going to tell you, Scott, the best teams can play both. If you see a team and that team stays in man the whole game, I doubt those teams beat us. And the same with zone. If they stay in zone the whole game, it's the teams that mix it up probably that have the most success against us. But we used to just see man, and, you know, that that's fine. If you're better than the other team, then play man. <laughs> Right now we see a lot of this uh, roll zone. I don't know if it's you know big outside of Oklahoma, but you'll see uh, 
cover three shell and what the corners are looking at is flow. If they get flow to them, then they play a hard corner uh, in the flats. The safety rolls over, the backside safety rolls over, and you know how it is in eight-man defense. Yep. Sometimes you've got to give up something. So what they're giving up is the uh, deep throw away from immediate flow, and that turns into a what we call roll cover two. And that's probably the defense that we see the most by the best teams in Oklahoma. Yeah, there's a, a guy that I, I talked to previous on the podcast, Coach Edicker. They ran a lot of that in 11-man, um, and they've continued to do that um, in eight-man. So, yeah, we've, we've seen it, but you don't see it very often. That's for sure, because it takes a really good communication on the defensive end for those guys to do yeah, that. A lot of, a lot of practice. That's Absolutely. Right. Um, so let's talk a little bit about what separates you from your opponents. Uh, clearly, you need a quarterback um, who can throw the ball very well, very clear decision-making, um, understands football, high football IQ. Um, let's talk about the rest of your guys, maybe body types, you know, skill sets, mindsets, um, you know, you made a comment, I think at the IFCA clinic about how smart your kids were, um, you know, and that always helps too, but also having football smart kids, you know, that's, that's always great. But let's talk a little bit about your Jimmy's and Joe's, um, you know, what kind of athletes do you have there? Uh, we have, um, they're above average, I would say, and we have, you know, a couple that have stood out, like you mentioned in the, in the introduction, we've had two um, All-Americans, one at the 11-man level, one at the eight-man level. And uh, we've had two. Now, this year, we have a defensive end that's going to go to the University of Tulsa Division One, So he'll be our second uh, Division One player. But again, we've been 11-man we've been for four years and eight-man for seven. So we've had a team for 11 years and had two Division One athletes in 11 years. So we're not you know, totally just going to dominate right. physically or athletically at all. My defensive coordinator and I look at each other just about every Friday and we say, man, these guys look a lot bigger than they looked on the film, you know, so how are we going to beat them? How are we going to do it? But what sets us apart, Scott, is the effort that our kids give. Our kids don't look at the scoreboard and that's easy to say, you know, when you're, when you're losing a lot of games or whatever, don't, don't watch the scoreboard, but we've been through that two and eight seasons when we were 11 man and, uh, we've been through the 14 and one seasons, you know, recently, and uh, we use the same thing. We, we use the old, I guess I learned this from Lou Holtz, but it's W I N what's important now. And maybe Lou Holtz stole that from somebody. I don't know, but <laughs> we always are saying what's important now, what's important now. If you have a great play, you need to ask yourself what's important now. And that's making the next play. If you have a terrible play, what's important now, go make the next play. And what our kids don't, what they know we're going to point out on the film on Saturday morning is who is not playing their hardest. If, if the ball is thrown to the other side of the field and you're standing around, you're not playing the game correctly. If it's defense and you're not pursuing the ball, then you're not playing the game correctly. So effort, that just unbelievable effort is what sets our team apart. That's, that's awesome. I love that. What's important now. I've, I've heard that. I didn't know Lou Holtz was a guy that kind of championed that phrase, but um, and the, and then the kind of the next play there, right? Great job. Great play, but it has no bearing on the next one. You know, that's a, that's a great thing. And I, I assume you go over that all the time and you kind of hit that every day in practice in your team meetings, right? You, you kind of train your kids to do that. We have a large board that says uh, what's important now. And it also says fast and right because I don't believe you have to slow down to do things correctly. You know, you can, you can go fast, you can trust your instincts and do things correctly. So WIN and FAR, uh, what, what's important now, fast and right. That's our mottos, I guess you would say. Yeah, no, those are cool. I hadn't heard the fast and right. I like that one. You know, the way that everybody's kind of moving towards speed and everything right now, that kind of fits right in with that. Um, yeah. So let's talk, you know, your kids are explosive. They are good athletes, um, you know, but you kind of got to teach them how to do that. You know, you got to train them how to make that play after catching the hitch, you know, how to turn and be successful and, and those kind of things. Um, so what are maybe some of those like drills that maybe you do that really help elevate, you know, and display your kids, demonstrate your kids athletic ability there? Yeah, we teach. Um, it's and I don't know that we call a lot of air raid plays, but I like those uh, on YouTube. There's some old videos of how mommy when he was doing the air raid at Kentucky and maybe even Iowa Wesleyan and Valdosta, um, but they would put the barrels out on the practice field and turn off of those barrels. We still, we don't use the barrels as much. We just use a defender, stationary defender, cones maybe in the summertime, but we run our route, like our hitch route that we love to run. 
and we'll talk about inside and outside turns. I think I demonstrated that at the Iowa clinic. Yep. And um, what, what I see kids doing incorrectly is catching a hitch with their, they're facing the quarterback backs to the end zone and they will not a turn up field tight. It's a tight turn and they will turn wide and take 10 steps and maybe make two yards. Well, that's costing you. I don't care how fast you are. You can't do that. And so we practice tight turns inside and outside turns. And what I mean by that, if you're not familiar, if the defensive back has outside leverage on you, you're going to go back to the quarterback, catch the ball and turn quickly to the middle of the field and don't run to the middle of the field, just turn toward the middle of the field. If he's got inside leverage on you, then you're going to go make the catch first, look it into the tuck, put it in that outside arm and quick outside turn, get up the field. And what you can do is put cones on either side of the players, have them stand with their back to the, to the cones facing the quarterback. They have to catch it, tuck it, and quickly turn between the cones, sometimes over their left, sometimes over their right. Then you add the defender. So we do the cones first, then the defender, and you won't always be able to see the defender. You've got to feel, have a feel for it. Is he, is he inside of me? Is he outside of me? Is he right behind me? So that is huge. The little bitty details like that yeah. are huge. Would you classify the the tight turn like a pivot in basketball? Is that kind of what you're talking about? Almost like a reverse pivot or something it like is. that? It is. It's not quite a pivot, but it's it's very akin to that. Okay. All right. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, you want to get upfield as as do you do anything coming out of like an out route or a slant or anything to help those kids as well? No, we don't throw a lot of slants. I don't think it's conducive in the eight-man game. The only time we would throw a slant is if the ball is all the way to one hash, we would throw the slant to the other side. And there we just tell the quarterbacks not to throw it behind them. <laughs> right. Do you do that because – are you guys 40 yards wide? Yeah. Um, do you do that because you don't think there's a, a big enough window to yeah, get that there, in? I don't think there is. I think it's just like perimeter – I mean, uh, interior RPOs in eight-man – I mean, you may make a million yards on them, but when you really need it or deep in the playoffs, I think the linebackers can be wrong and still be right defending an interior RPO on a 40-yard field. Yep, that makes sense. I, I uh, That makes a lot of sense there um, when you talk about that. Um, all right, so um, we'll talk about how you and your athletes prepare a little bit for um, upcoming opponents, right? We all watch our film on, you know, Saturday morning, Sunday, uh, whatever you and your staff do. Um, but what's like step one? I know I've listened to some guys, they like to watch their opponents all the way through from kick to final horn, and then they go back in and, uh, you know, cut it up and huddle makes everything. It makes life easy. Um, but what's, what's coach Bishop do when he starts breaking down his opponent? I will go through the first time. I don't actually watch it on huddle. I just do the ODK on huddle and then I'll go through and watch all their offense. I will do that. Watch it all the way through. And I may just mark who gets the ball, the, first time through then the second time through I may mark run pass and the third time through I may I may mark you know what we would call that play and the formations I'm big and you know what formation they're in and what's their favorite thing taken away uh, their favorite you know play taking away their go-to guy I think it's really important to mark down and distance on there too because those are tendencies and one of the big tendencies that I never hear people talk about maybe they do and I just I'm not paying attention but I don't know if this is everywhere, but teams we play against tend to run the ball to their sideline a lot. <laughs> it is true. There's times when they'll go 10 or 12 plays in a row. It doesn't matter, field side, boundary side. They're going to their sideline, and I think it's because the coaches can see the play better. <laughs> so yeah. they are hesitant to call things away from their bench. So we even add that in ours. Are they going to their bench every play or away from their bench or just not paying attention? There are some teams that seriously go to their bench a lot. I suppose that's probably a big tell. I never really thought about that. And you probably might, might be able to get by with a little bit more holds on your own sideline than you can <laughs> on the opposite sideline too, as a coach, right. With that being in that, that guy's ear, he's not going to call a penalty with three coaches breathing down his neck on you very often. Um, all right. So you kind of systematically break down, like you said, you're looking at sideline to sideline. Um, you know, do you, how do you, what do you share with the kids on film? Do you share full game films with kids? Do you share playlists? They're out there. The kids can watch it if they want or what? Our kids, um, our kids get bogged down and too much if you give them too much. So now I don't generally share the game film from the other teams with our kids. There's some special circumstances where I do, but the week, weekly I don't. I put together 
10 or 12 of the best plays from the other team. Um, if we're playing a team, you know, that our team, maybe they don't respect, I don't, I don't think our team respects the opponent the way they should. I'll start off with all their explosive plays up front. And that's pretty much all I'll show our team. So if they had, you know, five explosive offensive plays, or I try to get as many films as I can, because I'll, I'll watch every game you've played. So I try to get every explosive play. And sometimes it's not too many, but I still, I show it to our guys because it just takes one breakdown on the defensive side and they're gone. And then uh, I will show their, you know, their big plays on their defense as well. And so I really try to get our guys' attention, I guess, with the film and yep. show them. And I then like as we get into it, we, uh, yeah, we, we point out this is who they're going to if it's third down. This is who they're going to go to if they have to get a first down. This is the guy that tackles. And just as importantly, we, we point out, hey, this defensive end, this cornerback hasn't made a tackle in the last five weeks. You know, so. Right. And so kind of piggyback off of that, that's kind of probably how you, you set your game plan up, right? Your play sheet um, is this kid hasn't made a tackle. He's not going to stick his nose in there. We can run at him. Um, yeah. Those kind of things. And, and so after you've got your your data and all that, you go to the play board and, and you sit with your assistant coaches and come up with that. You guys meet as a staff or as Google Docs or how do you guys do that? I only I only have one assistant. Well, I have two now, actually. Yeah, Coach Coach Brown does a good job with us. It was his first year with us, so he's learning. So I have two assistants and now he actually, he's only able to come to practice. He's not full-time at our school. He's a, he's a, um, at an, in another job. But my, uh, my assistant and I have been together for seven years now. And we can text back and forth. We know what the practice plan is. Yep. If we don't change for change sake, I think kids need that rhythm every day. It doesn't get monotonous if you're really getting after it. So we keep pretty much the same practice plan. Now we may change it. We may do, you know, group defense first on Tuesday and team defense first. I mean, uh, group offense first on Wednesday. We, but, but the periods are the same. They may not be in the exact same order. Right. But yeah, I don't think we need to reinvent the wheel every day for practice. But no, we don't. We don't meet as a staff because there's there is just the three of us, and they can call me. They can text me if they have questions. But pretty much those, I trust those guys. They could be head coaches. I mean. Right. Um. So when you uh, going into a week, are you coming up with new concepts or new plays? you know, on Sunday to share with your guys, or you've got everything in after your, your install, you know, going into week one and you just kind of pick from your, your file of plays. Now we, um, we run the same offense, Scott, from third grade all the way through 12th grade. So our kids okay. know the offense when they get to the ninth grade, the only kids that we have to teach it to are ones that are new to football. By the way, we don't get transfers at our school in 11 years. We've had one transfer after the ninth grade that's played football. So one high school transfer in 11 years that's played football for us. So our kids know the system by the time they're in middle school and they've got it down by the time they're in high school. And that includes all the gadgets and wrinkles and all of that. Right. So we'll pull them out. Now we don't run them week after week, but we will pull some things out. And then the kids get mad at me because I don't call it in the game and we worked on it. And I just said, Hey, you know, it's not, a, there wasn't a good time to run that. And my, you know, even my assistants now they're like, Hey, let's run this just because and I hate doing that. I mean, I will. And I listen to my assistants, but I always want to have a reason for the play that I called. Right. And just, you know, just because I don't know, maybe I should, I'm getting old Scott. I need to do that. <laughs> I'm going I'm to call one this year just because we wanted to have a good time. Yep. No, I got my assistants are the same way. They're always in my ear. Hey, we should try this reverse kind of stuff. Like, because I just, I just don't think it's going to work. You know, you don't have any faith in it. Um, so uh, I, I kind of want to talk about your game plan and your quarterback, right? Your quarterback's super efficient, um, you know, and, and is, is kind of leading the way for you out there. Do you have um, conversations with him about, hey, this is kind of what we're thinking? You know, are you comfortable with these plays? Do you, you know, and you had said earlier, you know, if your kid can't do it, then you either got to find a new kid or, you, have you had to change game plans due to the guy under center? Um, you know, like that guy's really not that good at throwing digs, right? We got to take the dig out or so, or do you just find somebody that is better at, you know what I'm, you know what I'm saying? Like, okay, we're, we're going to, you're going to call bull on this, but I'm, I'm telling you this happened last week. And this is a true story and stick with me here. Our, uh, our assistant tennis coach tore his Achilles. Now what does this have to do with football? He's also the first grade PE teacher. So I go out 
filling in for him, first grade PE. I said, hey, guys, I'm the football coach. We're going to throw the ball today. I had a first grader chug that thing. He threw it 32 yards. So I go to him and I say, hey, man, what's your name? And he tells me his name. And I'm sitting in the uh, line for the parents to pick their kids up from school that day. And I see him get in the car and I go talk to the guy that's picking him up. And I told him, hey, he threw that thing 32 yards today. That's pretty nice. And he's like, yeah, he loves football. He loves football. So I say all that to say, I'm looking at them as early as I can. And like I said, they're not going to be transferring into our school. They're either there or they're not there. So right. we stack them up. I can tell you, you know, I've got one in the first grade that can throw it. I've got one in the third grade that can throw it. I've got one in the fifth grade that can throw it. And then our freshman quarterback started varsity last year. He's in the ninth grade. I've got two in uh, seventh grade that can throw it. So we don't wait until spring ball or week one or August to decide that we know who the quarterbacks are going to be. The team knows who the quarterback's going to be coming up and bodies change sometimes, but mm -hmm. in 11 years, that hasn't really happened to us. We've identified them in elementary school and they've been the quarterbacks all the way through. Do, um, are your quarterbacks mainly, um, throwers? Do you have a lot of quarterback run game or are you basically, basically for lack of better terms, I think it was what Steve Spurrier called it, the chuck and duck. Um, you know, we don't call a lot of quarterback runs, but like I was saying that we, we hope the other teams blitz us and our quarterbacks get to run, Okay, especially, you know, when they're really concerned about our receivers. So yeah, we, we, I would consider our quarterbacks dual threat guys. We've never had what I would say is a pocket passer. Okay. Our quarterbacks. Move. Excellent. Um, so, I mean, do you sit and talk game plan with him and, you know, maybe just specifically him or is it just in a group setting, you know, with, yeah, it just is. It's amazing to me. Right. And the reason I ask is because you are so, you know, your offense is explosive. Your quarterback is an extension of you out on the field. Right. He's knowing what he's looking for. Um, right. So I just I'm wondering about that communication with you and him. You know, he knows the plan. He knows what we're going to do every week. If they're the only time we would talk individually is if we were going to change something or I talked to him about personnel. And he knows, you know, when we're throwing routes on air and he's getting loose for the day, he's not just doing that wasting time. He's checking out his receiver's routes and what's the, you know, are there, are there little detailed differences in this receiver and that receiver? So he's developing that rapport. And that's what's important is that he has a rapport with the receivers. Um, they spend more time one-on-one -on -one than he and I spend one-on-one. -on -one. <laughs> I'll say that. Yeah. They go out. He was asking me the other day for an air pump and they were going to go some park and throw you know, routes. And then they were going to work with some, you know, somebody somewhere and work, work routes. And so the quarterbacks developing that rapport with the receivers and then he'll come and tell me what he sees. Uh, this, this quarterback that we have right now, he's really good on defense, but I try not to play my quarterbacks on defense, but there's some times when he has to go out there and play. So if he sees something uh, that I'm not seeing, or I see something that he's not seeing in game, we will communicate while we're out there on defense, but for game planning, I just talk to him in practice and say, you know, this is what we're going to do this week. And that's usually on Saturday and he knows. And if he has questions or like I said, if we're starting a different receiver, we'll talk about that. But mainly it's just, he knows what to do. All right. Thank you. Um, one, one kind of last question about game planning and, and or play calling. Um, do you script or is it everything by feel from opening kick? I don't script the plays. I script the formations. Okay. Um, I think I had a few slides on that in Iowa where yep. we had a really important game against the defending state champions in 2017. And uh, we came out the first four plays in four different formations and we knew which one we wanted them to be in. So it didn't matter to us which formation we were in. We just knew what defensive look we wanted them to be in. So we found it and we went back to that formation probably 90% of the time after those first four plays and we were able to, you know, get a, I don't know, 12 or 18 point win out there. And that was a huge win for our school. And, uh, but that's, you know, the success of scripting formations more than plays. We, when we get them where we want them on defense, then we can start going through a play sheet. But um, we're not afraid to call the same play. Like I said, we will continue to call a play until the defense adjusts. Excellent. Thank you. Um... So last thing we kind of, I want to kind of piggyback off what you talked about at the Iowa, Iowa clinic. Um, you talked about a couple of different things about just maximizing your mindset. And one of the questions you asked, um, you know, is, is just ask yourself why, right? So you're not scoring a lot of points. Why, 
you know, or, you know, your defense um, isn't good at tackling. Well, why? Um, just kind of where'd that come from? You know, I mean, is that just is that your reflection, you know, on Saturday morning after a game or, you know, because it, it's so simple. Right. But it's not something that I ne it never had crossed my mind. Um, you that know, so kind of like where'd that come from? Because, like I said, basic, but very powerful. That came from Kevin Kelly. Uh, if you've ever heard of him, the yep. no punt onside kick coach and didn't didn't work out for him at Presbyterian. But I, I think he's a great speaker. He goes around and actually speaks to corporations, not just football coaches. I first heard him at the uh, Glazier Clinic when they used to come to Tulsa and I didn't even live in Tulsa. Then I lived in Arkansas and drove over to Tulsa and I got to hear him. And he took time with me after that and talked with me. And he was he was asking you know all these questions and I was taking all these notes, just burning my notebook up and then uh, when I got the job at Regent he came and spoke to a corporation in Tulsa and it was a completely different talk than his football talk to coaches but he would show football film to these corporate people and it was just crazy and that's what he was asking you know if your sales are down why are they down if you're not you know producing the product you want to produce why is it and he was saying all this comes from high school football coaching. And I thought, man, you know what? That's right. So mm -hmm. to get all those questions and to get all those answers, I had to kind of get out of the coaching clinic circle and into the corporate yep. circle. Yeah. But that came, that came from Kevin Kelly. Absolutely. That's I, like I said, it's super power. You know, I came back. The other thing I talked after listening to you um, at the clinic, we talked about the onside kicks um, and you gave a, you gave a presentation about like, you need to go back and watch your film and see how successful you are, where you started. Um, and I think I, I burned my prep up that whole week um, watching film, you know, to try and get that figured out. And I learned a lot about our, our own team yeah. and where we were successful, where we weren't successful, starting the ball. Um, if you kind of share what you were talking about there uh, when it, dealing with kickoff, because uh, you're, you're an onside kick every time, coach. Yeah. Um, you know, kind of maybe talk about your why. And then a little bit about your how, right? And I also found it interesting that you said you called them like offensive plays. Yes. You don't just say, go on side, kick it. Good luck, guys. You call them like offensive plays, you know? So kind of walk through maybe your, your why and your how, if you would, on those. Well, there's two things on the why. If you are below average on defense, say you're kicking it deep every time and the other team's scoring, uh, you know, does it really matter where they start with the ball if they're going to score on you? You know, and I gave all the percentages in Iowa and I don't have them here in front of me. I don't have them memorized, but I know they're correct because I told you I'd done that with ours because, again, I heard that from Coach Kelly and I went back and did the same thing that you did. And I want to say, Scott, that tells me you're a really good coach because a lot of coaches don't go back and do that. <laughs> they don't care. They're just, I'm going to do it my way and I'm not going to change. I appreciate that. Thank you. It was it was so intriguing to me. I had to do that because I, I love I've turned into really loving numbers. Great. coaching here and I, I love that but all right, sorry I, to interrupt go ahead no I'm that way too man and I just wanted to brag on you for a second but that's the if you're not an above average defense then that's the why you want to try to get that ball back and practice that onside kick and get it you know get some different bounces and it's hard to practice for that because the bounce is different every time and um, uh, it, the other the other way on that is if you have a dominant defense and you can really stop people you know that you know you maybe you want to pin them deep if you've got that good kick coverage team and you're pinning them deep and stopping them that's great and we've done that some when we get ahead and get some leads and some games but if you're going to stop them anyway then again you know really go for that psychological advantage and get that onside kick and i showed that on film at the at the clinic too that when we get them our sideline is exploding they are excited the fans are into it the players are jumping up and down the you know the old fat head coach that shouldn't be jumping up and down probably is and uh, we get a lot of momentum from that and it's the opposite effect on the other sideline so we do play a psychological game and we train our kids that way so that's the why to do it and then the how it is um, again it's taught up from third grade on up we this is this is again people call bull on me on this but you're welcome to come to our practices anytime we only practice on-site kicking on Thursdays and again our kids know what we're going to do they know the different positions we name those positions on the kick coverage team and they're not everybody has a name there's about three different spots and you know we used to have hitters and getters and now you can't go hit them so 
I don't even know exactly what we call the old hitters, but right. the main guy in that is the one that guards the sideline and he's our safety. He never lets the ball go out of bounds if, you know, the kicker kicks it correctly. And then the inside three guys there, they have a job and they're arrows or rockets or something like that. And they're, they're not bunching up, but they're going to the ball. And then we have our backside guys and they name themselves something and their job is no, no cutbacks and nobody's going to field one and try to reverse field on us. So those backside guys, like I said, they always have a creative name and I try not to pay attention to it, but that's what we do with those, but that's the, how we do it. And then, you know, we just have guys kicking the ball all the time. I, I use the example of a kid that we have on our team named Ryan Wright. It's actually his brother, Jack, that was that broke the all-time uh, record for career touchdown receptions in a high school career. He's playing at the University of North Dakota. He played in, or he was going to play in that 11-man All-American game, but unfortunately he had an injury in the state championship game his senior year. But uh, Ryan is uh he was a freshman this last year and undersized as most freshmen are but he wanted to find a way to contribute and he practiced on site everything that we do he knew it again he's seen it since elementary school so ryan actually kind of made a spot for himself being an on-site kick kicker and did a good job for us toward the end of the year when we had some guys go down with injuries um what, what's the personnel like on that are you putting like uh you have starters on that or do you bring yes. in, you know, some other kids that to try and get them on there, but they're like, you're putting your dudes on there because it's that important. Absolutely. Yes. Yes. We're putting our, pretty much putting our defense out there. Okay. Um, and hands, it's kind of a mix, I guess, hands and defense, but usually we have some defensive guys that are also wide receivers. And that's the last couple of years, the guy that's been our safety down the, down the sideline has been our best receiver. And then our one of our old hitters in the inside there is our D1 defensive end that's going to go to Tulsa. So uh, we put guys like that, our really good running back that we had that only played two years of football, but ended right. up being you know all-star uh, running back for us. He's out there on it. And um, just, yeah, we put our guys out there. We're, okay. trying, to, we're trying to really get it. Okay, um, Coach, so we talk about the psychology of an onside kick, and you had shared – um, with us at Iowa, how in a playoff game, your opponent had tried to onside kick to you, but you recovered it, went down and scored onside, went down and scored onside three or four times. And the psychology, the body language was huge, right? You guys were hyped up and your opponent was um, very distraught, right? You could tell shoulders were dropped, chins were down. Um, so just talk a little bit, I mean, how that affects the game, right? And, and I had told you, we had talked, uh, so we were in a game, we actually gave up five onside kicks, right? Um, we, yeah, no, this is wild, right? We got like three and we gave up five. Um, and, and so it totally bucked all the statistics, but yeah. I tell you what, that psychology, that's a real thing. I mean, our kids were down in the dumps. We had kids wanting off of kickoff returned, um, you know, cause they just, they're going to kick it to me. I don't want to be a part of it. Um, you know, so talk a little bit about that psychology and how you guys approach that. Uh, we do. We pick on kids, and that's um, not a nice thing to say, but that is what we do. Whether we're we have the ball in offense, we talked about it. We find the you know what we consider to be the player we can go at on defense, but it's the same on onside kick. That game that you're talking about, we uh, do generally kick to our sideline, and we did that after we scored the first touchdown because they kicked off to us and they tried an onside kick, that will change too. You can change the way your opponent's game plan for you. If they know your, you know, the chances are you're going to get an onside kick or you're going to try several of them, they're going to start trying it back at you. So they opened up the game with an onside kick to us. We recovered, went down and scored our first chance to onside kick to them. We kick it to our sideline. A kid, like you're saying, wasn't that interested in, in uh, fielding it. He let it go over his head and our safety down the sideline got it. Well, then we go down and score and we're up 14 to nothing. We come back out for our second onside kick and we realized the same guy that had gotten out of the way on our sideline, they had moved into their sideline. So he, they just flipped their front. So instead of kicking that one to our sideline, we felt the better uh, play was kicking at that kid again. And that time, the same thing. He kind of went for it maybe that time, but it got past him again. So we knew he was feeling kind of down. And I think the third time they came out, he was not on the kickoff return anymore and um then that guy that the, the third guy 
we kicked it the third time it went off of his hands and actually back toward where we kicked it from and we turned around and walled him off and got that one and first thing you know I mean we're ahead 21 to nothing with the ball and coach we were physically overmatched in that game and athletically overmatched in that game and I, I told this at the Iowa clinic and I'll say it here to everybody I wish I could tell you we went on and won that game by 40 points at halftime or 45 but we didn't we ended up winning that game by four points but without that start without right. that advantage we lose that game by three or four touchdowns so right. that's what a big swing it can make Absolutely. You're able to get those extra possessions there and, and get that kind of a head start almost, if you would, you know, in that game there. Um, yeah. Very good. And I, I love that. I just, I give my special teams coach a hard time because, you know, we're trying, always trying to look about how to, you know, can we get the onside? We, we really don't have a kicker that can put it through the end zone. I really hate squibbing it. You know, they're going to get the ball at the 25 to the 35, somewhere in there anyway. Um, sure. You know, and according to my, my data that I did, that's kind of the money zone. You know, those guys are pretty good from there. So um, that was a, it was a really interesting topic that you brought up and, and I appreciate you. I think you made some change and you maybe converted some people, um, you know, when you were talking about that. So I appreciate that. All right. um, so kind of, what's that? I look forward to seeing that. I want to get some film of that. All right. All right. That sounds good. Um, so it kind of brings me to um, what is the main thing for Regent prep high school football and then whatever that main thing is, how do you keep that the main thing throughout the season or throughout the school year? Well, that's um, that's I really appreciate you asking that, Scott, because I don't get to answer that very often. But we are a Christian school. So our our football program was started 11 years ago, actually, as a ministry to other uh, schools. And to this day, I still hope it is that I don't I know I hope winning doesn't change that winning, you know, is, is fun and it's good, but we've had losing seasons and um, I hope it hasn't changed me. I hope it hasn't changed our program uh, or our school, but we started it and I talked with the uh, Andy Shapley. I mentioned him as a mentor of mine uh, the last 11 years. And, you know, that's, that's the way the school wanted it to be. He's never said, coach, you better win a game or coach, you better do this. He's actually told me, I don't really know, that much about football, you know, but I want it to want to have it, you know, I want to have a football program. And he, like I said, he's never said you better win or else um, that's just not the culture. So we started it as a ministry. We actually co-opt with two other schools in our area and we were able to help those kids that actually played for us. It kind of started as a ministry to our team. And then as we uh, joined the state activity association, we couldn't co-op anymore because those other schools weren't ready to join the activities association. So it then became our guys and, and, you know, we minister to them and want to provide for their needs as well. But we started ministering to the teams that we play and we play, uh, we are in Tulsa, as you know, which is a, it's a pretty large city and we play tiny little towns, you know, because our school is small. We have 150 kids in the high school and we play teams that have 70 to 150, 180, maybe in the high school. So one thing that we do is we uh, feed the other team. Every time they come to our place on Friday night, when they leave, we have parents that during the game, they'll gauge you know what time the game is going to be over they will go sit a box of pizza on every seat in our opponent's bus whether they have 10 kids or whether they have 40 kids they get it and coach I've gotten calls from other teams coaches that said coach thank you so much for that pizza that's the only meal that our kids got to eat from Friday until they got back to school on Monday so the stuff like that that just breaks your heart so it's our program is a ministry we um we uh, begin every practice with prayer. We end every practice. Uh, that's actually a prayer for that practice that we will have enthusiasm, energy, focus, concentration, bouncing around, that type of thing. And at the end of practice, we say it's for non-football things. But really, we pray for our opponents every week. I usually know the opponent's coach's name. We pray for him by name. If we know players on the team that have had injuries or things that have gone on in their community, now it's to the point where coaches will call me and they'll tell me, hey, you know, we've got X, Y, Z going on in our town. Would you please pray for this? And so our team will do that, Coach. And I hope that the sportsmanship that we play with on Friday night matches that. I hope we're not being hypocritical in doing that. So our our program is a ministry first. And it, you know, it just happens that we've we've won games and gotten notoriety for, for winning, but 
whether we're two and eight or 14 and one, I hope it doesn't change the fact that our, the main thing in our program is ministry. Yeah. And I think, you know, and I was telling my wife this the other night, you know, that, that coaches that are able to use faith and, and, you know, that, that kind of lifestyle and those things that you guys are able to make almost more of an impact than we are in a public school. Um, yeah. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's a great way to bring up young men um, and, and you're not always going to be a football player, but you're always going to be a, a human being, um, right. you know, and that's a, a great way to do that, you know, and, and that's awesome that you guys do that. Um, you know, I'm, I'm I, the feed the other team thing. That's it. That's an incredible thing. You know, I'm, I, like you said, it breaks your heart. You know, I, I, I think about those kids, you know, our kids on our own team that would need a pizza, you know, to go home and, and things like that. So sure. keep doing that coach. That's awesome. You know, keep, keep those people in your, in your hearts and keep working with them. Um, so kind of reach the end here, coach. Um, how can other coaches reach out and talk some more football with you? I know you're active on the telegram app. Um, yeah. Are there any other ways if a person's not part of that, that they can reach out and, and get in touch with you? Sure. They can email me. Um, it's a Bishop at rpsok.org. And that's my email address. I check that all the time and I will get back to you. If you email me, I will respond to your email. This is what I do. Uh, again, I want to shout out to my school. I don't, I don't teach classes there. I'm a full-time football coach and, and um, uh, so I have time to do things like that. And that's what I love doing. I love helping coaches out and learning from other coaches. And that brings me to this, Scott. I really appreciate your podcast. I've listened to, I think, all of them except the one right before mine, which I need to knock that out. But yeah, even on my way up to Iowa, I would uh, put it on the Bluetooth and listened. So uh, I really appreciate what you're doing. It's much needed in eight man in the community and nationwide. And there are so many schools that are joining the eight man ranks. And I think there's some coaches that are scared of it, you know, not because they're not good coaches because they're in the boat that we were in seven years ago. I'd never seen an eight man football game. And I was just talking with some guys at a seven, a school in Arkansas yesterday. And I told them, I, I said, you know, guys, there's not just these huge differences. I said, the people that talk down about eight man ball are the ones that have never seen it. When you yep. see it played, it's real deal. It's real football. Absolutely. And I think you almost have to be more fundamentally sound to play eight man than 11 man. Uh, you were right. You, 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 I was the you same just... way. Uh, we should have gone eight man two years before, but because of my stubbornness, uh, we stayed 11 man two, two years too long. Uh, we should have gone down. But... Well, hopefully because of what you're doing here, other coaches won't make that mistake and they will not be afraid of it. That they'll say, hey, there's resources out there. There's guys out there that will help me because I'm not the only guy. And you know other guys there. The eight man community is so giving. Absolutely. It is wonderful. And yeah, everybody's going to share their secrets with you. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Well, coach, I appreciate the kind words. Thank you very much. And, um, you know, I was telling my students that I got a podcast on the side and I said, guys, it's the perfect thing for me. You guys know me. I love to talk and I get to talk football. <laughs> so, um, you know, two, two of my favorite things, but uh, um, I appreciate I'm the it, same coach. way. I talk way too much. God, I do. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, great conversation tonight. I appreciate it very much. Um, I look forward to staying in touch with you. You know, if we get some good onside film, I'll send it your way. Um, but once again, thank you for your time. And uh, I, I look forward to staying in touch with the coach. All right. Thank you, Scott. That's it for our show today. Hopefully you got at least 1% better from listening to today's episode. Please share the podcast and review if you enjoyed and learned today. You can follow us on Twitter at BeGreatFCP, that's B-E-G-R, the number eight, F-C-P, or send us an email at BeGreatFCP at gmail.com. That's B-E-G-R, the number eight, F-C-P at gmail.com. Remember to keep the main thing the main thing and to be great.